This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. Well, hey, what's up, Celebration Church? How are you guys doing this morning? You guys glad to be in church? Want to say what's up to the other campuses, Fresno and uh, Madera. Great to see you guys this morning. We're going to have a great time. My name is Witt, and uh, I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is just as exciting as it sounds. We had, we had a really great basketball team, the Oklahoma City Thunder, until um, we lost our best player. You stole him from us. And so I'm having to work through some bitterness and resentment for what you guys did in luring Kevin Durant to the Bay Area and out here. And uh, yeah, don't clap. That's not cool. That's not cool. And then, hey, uh, I, I just, I met Nick uh, uh, like, like about a year ago. I think we got connected. And, um, you know, so I, I've known Nick for about a year. I knew about the hair. I knew about the tattoos. I had no idea the dude could sing like friggin' Aretha Franklin. That blew me away this morning. How good was that? Incredible. And then also, let's make some noise one more time for Ryan for just being brave enough to share his story. Amazing. And I love that because what God did in his life, he can do in your life. And I love the whole concept of that. Real quick, just want to kind of introduce you to my family. I've been married for 17 years. I have five kids. I brought a picture so I could remember their names. Um, This is my family. Uh, Two boys, three girls. And God has done so much in me through, through my family. And so anyways... Uh, we, we, we bring greetings from, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it's great to be here in, in uh, I don't know, is this, do you guys consider this Northern California, Central California? I don't, I don't know what it is. Wherever I'm at, it's good to be in California, just hanging out with you guys. The weather is so much better here than it is in Oklahoma. Really, just about everything is, is, is better, better here, just being honest. Anyway, I love, but, I, but I, do, I, I love my people. I love my city, and so it's good to be here. All right, so, so we're kind of in this series, right? What about me? And we're talking about, I love, I love how Nick kind of framed it, that there's more, right? That God wants more for you. For a lot of people, uh, their whole religious background, all they, all they kind of know about Christianity is that Jesus died for you and that he forgives your sins and that that kind of means that you're, like, your ticket to heaven has been punched, right? So you get to go to heaven. But like here and now, there's really not much change, not much is different and that's kind of what this series is sort of about, is like, what's more? What, what else is there for me in my walk with God? And, and what God wants to do is God wants to, believe it or not, God wants to do something through you. In fact, the way we say it at our church is God wants to do something through you that he can't do through me. We say it this way, that God didn't just save me from something, but he saved me for something. That God has a purpose, and, and he has a purpose for you, believe it or not. In fact, some of you stepped into the, the room today, and you're feeling like, like, like Ryan said, that whenever you stepped into church, like the building was going to catch on fire. In fact, you feel kind of like a church is like the last place that you belong. But believe it or not, even you, God wants to do something through you. He wants to use you for something. But before he can do that, he has to kind of mature you. He has to grow you. And the whole process of spiritual growth is something that we Christians call discipleship. This is sort of a churchy word. It's a word you're probably not too terribly familiar with. Maybe you've heard it around a church, but it's not one that you use in like your daily life, discipleship. Nobody says that. 
So what does discipleship mean? Well, discipleship is the process of, of spiritual growth, and it comes from some things that Jesus said. In fact, actually, a command, like a, like a directive that Jesus gave to his followers. Right before Jesus left, he gathered all of his followers together, and it's one of the last two verses of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said that. Some of you, you'll know this verse. Jesus said this. He said, therefore, go. So like this is like, 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 like our strategy. Here's what we're going to do. I, I want everybody to do this. So he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this is like a verse called the Great Commission. Maybe you've heard of that, about that before, the Great Commission. And the whole Great Commission kind of centers around this idea of making disciples. The, the idea of discipleship, the idea of spiritual growth is kind of wrapped up in this word disciples, the process of, of becoming a disciple. What does it mean to become a disciple? What did Jesus have in mind when he said this? Well, it's important that we kind of do a little bit of history lesson to kind of understand this because Jesus didn't come in modern day America. Duh, we, we, we get that. But Jesus came to a specific time in a specific place in a specific culture. And when we tend to read the Bible, when you and I read the Bible, we kind of tend to read it and through like our own culture and our own modern time. But Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't speak to our modern time. Now his words have value now, but we have to understand that the things he said, like he said them at a specific time and to a specific culture. And this, this phrase like make disciples has real specific cultural meaning for Jesus. Jesus came in a time in history, in fact, he came uh, in first century Israel. And in first century Israel, that there was, there was a, a group of people who would teach uh, uh, like, the, like the common folks about God. Those were the rabbis. Rabbi just simply means teacher. And what a rabbi's job was to do is to kind of explain God, like, like help people understand who God was. And so rabbis would have followers. In fact, the, the Hebrew word or the Jewish word for this is this word talmidim. If you were a disciple of, of a rabbi, then you were a talmidim. And you would sit under that rabbi and you would learn from that rabbi. But it was more than just learning what your rabbi knew. It was becoming like your rabbi. That was the whole goal. And the rabbis would explain who God was and what God was all about. And then these disciples would come along and they would kind of carry on their rabbi's teaching by becoming just like their rabbi. It was this interesting kind of student-teacher relationship, but it was different than sort of what we understand as a, as a kind of a typical student-teacher relationship. See, when we think about students and teachers, we think of primarily about learning. If you have kids or you went to school, most of us went to school, then you kind of understand the whole concept is that when you went to school, you would go to learn what your teacher knew, right? So if you were taking a math class, your goal wasn't to become like the math teacher. In fact, most of us would never want to be like our math teacher or our English teacher. No, we didn't want to be like our teacher. We just needed to know what they knew so that we could graduate. That's how teaching and the sort of teacher-student relationship in our time works. But in Jesus' time, it wasn't that way. The goal wasn't just to know what your teacher knew. Your goal was to become exactly like your teacher. So if you were a Talmudim of a rabbi, if you were a disciple, you didn't just want to know what he knew. You wanted to become just like him, which meant that disciples of rabbis would follow their rabbi everywhere. They lived together. So you would do everything that your rabbi did. I mean, it was like, I want to be just like you. So if your rabbi ate, you ate. If your rabbi slept, you slept. 
If your rabbi went to the bathroom, no kidding, you went to the bathroom. You did everything that your rabbi did because you wanted to become just like him. Imagine if you sent your kids off to school, not with the idea of learning what the teacher knew. If you sent your student to, you know, seventh grade algebra or whatever, it wasn't just to become or to, to know what Mr. Smith, the algebra teacher, knew. No, you were sending your kid to school to become like Mr. Smith, the algebra teacher. It's a totally different way of thinking. This is what Jesus had in mind when he says, make disciples. When he's talking about becoming a disciple, and when we talk about spiritual growth, it's not about being a Christian. In fact, really, all through the scripture, the word Christian hardly even appears in the Bible, but the word disciple is the one that's emphasized, that we're, like you and I, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we're, we're to be disciples. So the goal of being a disciple is not just to know more information about God, but it's to become exactly like him. This is why Paul wrote in in Romans chapter 8, look at what Paul wrote. He said, for from the very beginning, like this was God's plan all along. This is what God always wanted. God decided that those who came to him, right? So those of us who are in this room, right? We're here, we're here, we're learning about God. We're coming to God. Those who come to God and all along God knew who would do this. Our goal is that we should become like his son. The goal of Christianity is not just to know more information. It's not just to have a lot of verses memorized. It's not just to be really moral or attend church every single weekend. All of those are good things. You should do those things. You should pray regularly, read your Bible regularly. But those are not the things that that make you like Jesus. The goal of Christianity, the goal of, uh, of discipleship is to become exactly like the one you're following, which means this, that real spiritual growth isn't just measured by how much you know about God, but by rather how much you are like God. Now, this is a huge distinction. I want to say this again. Real spiritual growth isn't measured by how much you, are, you know about God, but rather by how much you are like God. Now, you know this already. Because you know people, and maybe you grew up around people, or you're around people who, who said they knew a lot about God. In fact, you knew people, or you know people who have a lot of verses memorized, people who go to church like regularly, and so they knew a lot about God, but they weren't anything like God. They were judgmental. They looked down on you. In fact, some of you, that's the reason you haven't been in a church in a long time. Because you feel like that the minute you walk through the doors, everybody's going to be looking at you. Everybody will somehow know like your past or they'll look down on the way that you dress or, or just your appearance and they'll know automatically like you're not a church person and they'll judge you. Why is it that so many Christians have the reputation of being judgmental? It's interesting that Jesus, the very son of God, was friends with a lot of people who were nothing like him at all who didn't hold his beliefs, who didn't live like he lived, but they liked Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And that's an interesting thing. And if we're going to be like Christ, then, 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 then that means that we're, we can't look down on other people. We can't judge other people in the, that, in the way that so many Christians do. Why is it that Christians are known for this? Because they know a lot about God, but they're nothing like him. And real spiritual growth isn't measured by just how much you know but it's who, you're, who you are, who, who you're like. Jesus experienced this in his day. 
There was a group of people in his community who were very religious. They were called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These were people who had, think about this, whole books of the Bible memorized. You and I are just trying to learn some verses. They had like whole books of the Bible memorized. We're trying to just get up and read our Bible every day. They didn't even have to open it up. They could just recite it from memory. They had old books of the Bible memorized. They were like the, they had the most spiritual street cred in their community. They were the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And look at what Jesus says about them. Look at, look at what he says. He says in Matthew 23, then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, he said, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. That just means they had like an esteemed position in the community. He says, they sit in Moses' seat. And so you must be careful to do everything that they tell you. So Jesus kind of honors their position and he says, so they have like an authority and so we need to respect their authority and respect their position. But look at what he says. He says, but don't do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. In other words, there's a disconnect between what they know and what they do. He, he follows it up in Matthew 23, a little bit later on in verse 27. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. And then he says, In the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. A couple of weeks ago at, at our church, uh, I was talking to a young lady who was explaining to me just her past and what had happened in, in her family. She grew up with a dad who was a minister. And her dad would go out and preach to all kinds of different people. He was always traveling, always tra doing ministry for other people. But when it came to his own family, he was never there. He wasn't around for his own kids. And so she had a really hard time, as you can imagine, with church, she had a really hard time with God because she heard one thing but saw another thing lived out. I don't know if you've had an experience like that. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. People who know a lot about God, people who talk a lot about God but don't live anything like him. And real spiritual growth isn't measured by just what we say, by how many verses we know or how often we show up in church. It's really measured by who we are and what we live like. And fortunately, Jesus defined for all of us how you measure real spiritual growth, how it really works. He said it this way in John chapter 13. Look at what he said. This is right before he goes to the cross. Jesus says this. He says, by this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How will people know that you're a disciple? Like what's the qualifier of being a disciple? Well, it's not what we think it is. It's not church attendance. It's not how many verses you have memorized. Look at what Jesus says. He says, if you have love for one another. In other words, your spiritual maturity isn't gauged on the scriptures that you know, how moral you are, how often you show up in church. It's gauged by your love for other people. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to go to church. I'm not saying you don't need to memorize scripture. I'm not saying you need, don't need to pray every day. Those are good things. But those are outward things. And so often we, we gauge everything on those, like, like those real religious activities. But Jesus said, it, it, it's not that. If, 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 if all your Bible reading, if all of your scripture memorization, if all your attending church doesn't cause you to love other people more, 
then Jesus would say, you're missing the point. The point of it all is loving other people. So that brings me to this, and this is really everything that we kind of want to talk about for the rest of our time together today is this, this, this concept here. A community is required equipment then for disciples. A community is required equipment for disciples. Why? Because you can't love one another without another to love. In other words, if you keep people at a distance, if you don't have a spiritual family that you're going through life with together, then you're not really practicing what Jesus would call discipleship. You're not growing spiritually. It's required equipment. I have, I have two sons. Both of them play football, fourth grader and an eighth grader. And for each of them, it's the same story for each of them. There's a required equipment. I don't know if you play sports, if you had kids that play sports, whatever, you know that there's required equipment. There's stuff like they have to have, a helmet, a mouth guard, things they have to have before they, before they even step onto the field. If they're going to be participate in that sport, you just have to have certain required equipment. Well, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be a disciple, there's things you have to have. And one of the things you have to have is a family. You have to have a community because you can't practice loving other people unless you have other people around you to love. And so that, that kind of highlights this huge spiritual principle, principle, and it's this, is that you learn about God. You learn about God through teaching. That's what's happening right now. You learn about God through teaching, but you become like God in a community. It's important that you don't fuse these two things together. So many of us think that spiritual growth happens when you get together in a big room like this and you're taught. And there's some great things that happen, you know, while people are teaching. If, you know, light bulbs come on and you go, oh, wow, I didn't know that about God. And you learn things. But how many people come and they sit and they learn and they learn and they learn and they learn week in and week out, but their life doesn't change at all? Some of you, that's your experience. You've attended church before. You've come for a long time and you hear teaching and even the light bulb goes on in your mind. You're like, oh, I didn't know that about God. But then you go out and through the rest of your week, like very little changes just same old, same old. Life continues as usual. Why? It's because life change doesn't happen through teaching. Life change happens in community. It happens inside the context of a family. You understand this already because this is how a family works. This is why God put a family on planet earth. That's why you, you, you had a family. What is a family's purpose? You know what a family serves to do? It matures kids. The reason that we have families is so that kids can grow up and they become healthy adults. Imagine for a second that as, you know, a parent, maybe I have five kids. And so, so imagine that maybe I took my fifth kid. So I've got, I've got two boys, two girls, and then my, my, my last child is a daughter. So imagine I take my, my, my little daughter, B. Her name is, is Beatrix. And imagine I take B. And rather than, than, than allow her to live with the rest of the family in, in the house, I put her in an isolated room. And so I don't want her to be in the family. I just want her to, to learn. 
So I put her in an isolated environment where there could be no distractions, where she can just be taught over and over and over again. And so what I do is I assemble like the best teaching. I buy the best books. I get the, the greatest teachers on DVD. And I just, I just have her watch these every day to learn about relationships, to learn about conflict resolution, to learn how to love other people. And so she's just taught like over and over and over again how to love and how to, how to be in a healthy relationship. And so I do that maybe until she's 18 because I'm just, you know, my kids fight. I don't know if your kids fight with each other. My kids fight. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm not going to even allow her to be around the other kids. I'm just going to put her by herself and let her learn this and see what happens. What, how healthy do you think she would be relationally at 18 whenever we open the door and say, all right, B, you can go on out into the world. How healthy do you think her relationships will be? They're going to be terrible. Why? Because teaching isn't enough. You understand this. It, it takes more than teaching. You need a family. And that's what the family does. The family is where kids grow up, where they're matured. It's not just enough to be taught, but they have to have a family to work these things out in. Have you ever been around a kid or somebody who grew up without a family who didn't have a healthy family environment, like a really unhealthy family environment? I was around some kids recently who went through the foster care system, grew up, and, and now they're kind of on the later part of their teenage years, but have been through dozens and dozens of, of foster homes. Just a tragic situation. Never really had a mom or a dad to raise them. Just had different people that they lived with over the years. And I was struck as I was around this kid just how, how I don't know, how dwarfed he was socially how much he struggled just to relate to people. He lacked like self-awareness, social awareness. And I was amazed, like he, he, he was like a little kid in many ways. He couldn't recognize like just a basic kindness that was done for him. He didn't even, he didn't even see it or get it. He, he, he just, he was, he was dwarfed socially. Why? Because he didn't have a family. Because he never learned these things. The family is where, where God matures you. And this is what he does with kids. Like your kids grow up in a family environment. That's why the family is so important. That's why when families break down, society breaks down. That's why when families break down, crime levels rise. That's why when families break down, poverty rises. That's why when families break down, disease rises. And, and, and it's this horrible cycle when families fall apart. It's this horrible cycle because kids are denied the very tools they need to break the cycle that they're in. They don't know how to be in healthy relationships because they didn't see healthy relationships growing up. And so when kids don't see healthy relationships and they grow up and get in a relationship, what happens to them and their relationships? They fall apart. And so the cycle continues and continues and we're seeing this happen all over our country. Why? Because the family is broken down. The same thing happens spiritually. When, when you have no spiritual family, you don't grow up. You don't mature. That's why Jesus said that discipleship is marked by how you love each other, meaning it's a community thing. It's a family thing. Look at how, how the scripture describes like the, the first church. This is Acts chapter 2. This is, this is the very first church. Then it just exploded right after the day of Pentecost. And look what it says. It says they worship together at the temple. So the temple is this this huge building, much bigger than this building. Some of you, like, this is the biggest church you've ever been to, and I think it's awesome that it's this big and that it's growing. It's so, it's so cool. 
But the, the church at Jerusalem, this first church, was way, way, way bigger than this church, way bigger than our church, bigger than both our churches combined. In fact, it was said that there were over 100,000 people that attended this church. So they would gather together in the temple courts, this huge building where they would meet. But then look what it happens. They would meet in the temple each day, and then they would meet in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared meals with great joy and generosity. In other words, it was a big group like this. What's happening right now? Big, and then it was small. Big, and then it was small. There was a big group and a small group. This is why churches, this is why Celebration Church does small groups, community groups. Do you know why? So that you can have a spiritual family. It's not just so you can have one more spiritual thing to do on your calendar. It has nothing to do with that. It's not about making God happy because if you don't get in a community group, God will be unhappy with you. It has nothing to do with that. It's so that you can find a spiritual family so that you can grow up spiritually. Look, look, look at what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5. This is the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know if you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit before, but Paul writes about it. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. In other words, this is what God's trying to do in you. This is what God wants. I don't know, ladies, like this list, if you would want this in a husband, husbands, if you would want this in a wife, I think all of us would say, yeah, I want a spouse that like, like demonstrates love and joy and peace. I want a home full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We all want these things, and this is what God wants for us, but check this out. All of these, every single thing on this list requires community. I mean, you can't even do love without somebody else to love. You have to have someone else in your life for you to even practice love. If you want to, I mean, there's no point in being kind or gentle if there's no one else around. So you need a community, you need a family to practice these things. That's why we say at our church, we say it like this, is that your small group, your community group, is your laboratory. It's the place where you work things out. It's not just enough to be taught. It's not just enough to have all the great teaching. You need a family, just like kids need a family where they can work out their relational issues. You need a family where you can work out your issues as an adult. You have areas of your life where you're spiritually immature. Guess what? I have areas of my life where I'm spiritually immature. And God wants to get me past those things because he wants to do something through me. He wants to do something through you. And the only way that's going to happen is not by attending church more. It's about getting in a community group, getting in a family, finding a small group of people that, that you can be real with, people that know your story, your struggle, and your secrets. Some of you have secrets in your life, things you're holding on to, things that are destroying you from the inside out. And you're terrified if anybody should find out about what, what you're holding on to, what you've been hiding. And I'm just telling you, spiritually, you're not going to go anywhere. You'll be stuck as long as you're holding on to those. But God set it up so that you could have a family within a church of people that you could be honest with, people that can see the real you, not just the mask that you put on for everybody else, but the real you. And when they, when they see the real you, and rather than judge you, they can encourage you. Rather than put you down, they can build you up. They can put their arm around you and say, come on, we can get through this together.
you need a family in your life. And it's your laboratory where you test out forgiveness, where you test out self-control, where you test out love and joy and peace. And it's difficult to work on these things because you know why? Because we tend to surround ourselves with people who are just like us. We surround ourselves with people who, left up to us, are easy to love. We get rid of the people in our lives that are difficult to love. I I have a friend I was talking to a couple of weeks ago. She was talking to me about a neighbor, a clingy neighbor, who likes to come over all the time. And the other day, this neighbor came over and she did, my friend did what you and I would want to do. She ran inside and shut the blinds and closed the door and acted like she wasn't at home. Right? Because she didn't want to hang out with this person. Why? Because she doesn't like her, doesn't like being around her. It's easy to love people who are easy to love. It's difficult to love people who are hard to love, people who annoy you, people who, who get on your nerves, who don't live like you do, who don't vote like you do, God forbid. And one of the reasons God wants to put you in a family, get this, is he wants to strategically put you around people who test your patience so that you can grow in patience. He wants to put you around people who don't see life like you do. And over and over again, and I, I've, I, I, we have thousands of people in our church who are getting into small groups, and, and one of the stories that we hear over and over and over again is people saying, Wit, I, I didn't think I needed this. I didn't want to do this, but finally, after you just talked about it and talked about it, finally we decided we're going to get in a group. And they, they tell me over and over again, I'm so glad I did, and this is what they say. They say, I have learned more about God. I have grown more as a Christian from being in this group than from years and years and years of just attending a church. There's so much more that God wants to do. What you're experiencing right here, right now in this room is just scratching the surface of what God, what a church really is. You will never experience the beauty of a church community and family until you go deeper, until you get beneath the surface, and you go past just this big room, and you you actually find the family of the church. That's where it happens. It happens in community. So I'll say it one more time as we kind of wrap this thing up. You learn about God through teaching. That's what we're doing right now, but you become like him in a community. If you're serious about following Jesus... It's only going to happen when you get around a family. Are you strategically doing that? Are you strategic with the relationships that you have in your life? Can I just tell you, you want to grow spiritually? One of the first places that I would look to is the relationships that I have, the people that I surround myself with. Some of you, the people that you're friends with, the people that you spend most of your time with aren't making you better, they're making you worse. And you don't have a strategic community that's pushing you It's making you better. You want to experience growth? It starts by getting around the right people. And I'm not just telling you this because I want to see so many people in groups. I'm telling you this because I've lived it. I've experienced it. Whenever I was growing up, one of the things that happened maybe from a really early age for me was that I started to attach my identity my worth, my value to my performance on a basketball court. I'm 6'5", and so I, I grew up playing basketball. I love basketball. 
And I practiced basketball like every day. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. That was my goal. And um, so I practiced all the time, put so much energy into it. And I kind of put my identity in that. Like, that's where I found value. And so whenever I'd play basketball and I would play good, I would feel really good about myself. But if we lost, if I didn't play well, I felt terrible. In fact, I felt embarrassed. I felt humiliated. But rather than kind of take that shame and that humiliation and put it on me, I, I put it on everybody else. I would lash out. I would get angry at teammates or friends, just say terrible things. I remember in the sixth grade, we were getting destroyed in a basketball game, and I got embarrassed. I felt stupid running up and down the floor, getting beat as bad as we were. And so I started blaming my teammates for not playing better. In fact, there was one kid, I don't know, I just started kind of picking on in the game. I don't remember what I said to him, but I was, I was mean. I remember after the game, my mom grabbed me, and she made me go over and get in his car and apologize to him before we could leave. But that was just kind of a thing for me, a habit for me. As I grew older, I justified it. I came up with reasons for why I did it. I just said, oh, it's just guys being guys. This is what guys do, you know, whenever they play sports. They're just, we're intense. And so in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the moment, you know, you say stuff that you regret. But, you know, it, it, we leave it all on the floor and it's, it's not that big of a deal. That's what I told myself. But that wasn't true. I was damaging relationships. I was hurting people close to me. Of course, my dream of playing professional basketball didn't come to pass, but I still kept playing, you know, for years uh, after high school. I would play with, you know, friends and coworkers. And a few years ago, I was playing basketball with some coworkers. In particular, I was playing with a guy I'm really close to, a guy who's part of my spiritual family. His name is Ethan. He works at the church. He's one of our fellow pastors. And we were playing basketball this night, and we weren't playing well. I wasn't playing well, and I was embarrassed. And so rather than, again, internalize that, I took it out on Ethan. I said some things. I don't even remember what I said, but I said some pretty cruel things to him. I embarrassed him in front of pretty much everybody there. And after the game was over that night, Ethan sent me a text or an email. I can't remember which, but he just let me know what my words had meant to him, how they hurt him. And maybe for the first time in my adult life did I really get to see just how ugly I had become. How much this little issue in my life wasn't a little issue at all. It was a big issue, and I was hiding it. But it was through relationship, through family, that a big blind spot for me was pointed out. And when I saw it, I, I, I just, I realized what I had become, what I had allowed myself to become, and this part of my life that needed to change. And I said, this has to stop. Through years of teaching, I mean, I had attended church my whole life, but never did I have a moment where I said, I have to stop doing that. But it was through community, through family, through one brother talking to another brother, did I finally realize that this had to change. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me just through that interaction with Ethan, saying, you got to make things right. So I made things right with Ethan, but it didn't just stop there. I started reaching out to other people through, who, through over the years, I had hurt, I had said things to. In fact, just 
Last week, I went to lunch with a guy who I hadn't spoken to in a decade because the last time I had spoken to him, we had had this heated exchange in the field of sports. And I hadn't spoken to him in over a decade, so I reached out to him on Facebook and I apologized. I just said, dude, I don't even remember what I said, but I owe you an apology and I want to make things right. And we went to lunch and started to heal a broken relationship. This is spiritual maturity. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says how you love other people, that matters. Some of you, you have a string of broken relationships behind you because you have some habits that you're not dealing with. And you need a spiritual family of people who can speak the truth to you in love and help you pass these things so that you can start to repair some of the brokenness, some of the things that have been caused by just bad decisions and habits that you've had in your life. But it's never going to happen until you find a spiritual community, until you find a family. You'll never be a disciple until you have a community. Jesus wants you to be part of his family. So I encourage you, I would challenge you to get into a community group. When they're talking about these groups, get in a group. Join up. Talk to one of the dream team. Whichever campus you're at, talk to somebody and say, hey, I'm interested in a group. Can you explain to me how I can get in a group and find a spiritual family so that you can begin to grow spiritually? Now, I don't know where you're watching from or where you find yourself today spiritually on your journey with God. In fact, I know some of you, you're here today and you say, Whit, I have never made Jesus the Lord of my life. Maybe you grew up with some kind of church background or you, you were baptized when you were a kid or you know some like religious stuff, but you would never be able to say like, I, I'm certain that I've made Jesus my Lord. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity, no matter where you're watching from, whatever campus you're at, I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. The way we say it is that a relationship with Jesus is life-changing. Maybe it's not been life-changing for you. Today's your day. Here's what I want to invite you to do. We're going to pray a prayer here in just a second. It's called the Believer's Prayer. And you pray this prayer in your heart. You mean it. Jesus will come into your life, and he will begin to transform you from the inside out. I want to invite everybody at all campuses to pray this. In fact, repeat this after me, if you would. Just repeat it out loud right there at your seat. Let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place, to pay for my sins. Lord Jesus, I give you my past. I give you my mistakes, my addictions, my hang-ups. I give them to you. Wash me, cleanse me, make me your disciple. I want to follow you. I confess that you were raised from the dead, that you're alive today. And I confess that Jesus is my Lord and I will follow him for the rest of my life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said a big amen. Hey, can we make some noise for everybody who just prayed that prayer? God bless you guys. It has been an honor to speak to you guys today. God bless. is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.